Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. Amen. This biblical text came to mind because extending hospitality is one of the better parts of celebrating Thanksgiving. The Thanksgiving story most of us grew up with is a myth of European colonial harmony with Native Americans, and it is deeply undermined by the centuries of oppression of our country's first peoples. Native Hope, a nonprofit dedicated to dismantling barriers for Native people and to bringing hope and healing through the power of storytelling, invites us as we approach Thanksgiving and Native American Heritage Day, which follows on Friday, to remember the generosity of the Wampanoag people, to their generosity to their, the helpless settlers, to remember the hundreds of thousands of Native Americans who lost their lives at the hands of colonists and the genocide of whole tribes, to remember the vibrant and powerful Native descendants, families, and communities that persist to this day throughout the culture and the country. So while colonial harmony with Native Americans is a myth in light of the colonial atrocities that followed, the hospitality extended to the Wampanoag tribe was real and is worth emulating. Hospitality is an ancient and multicultural practice that celebrates our deepest moral values as human beings. I think we all have stories of when we were taken in, given food, and cared for. With Kelsey's permission, I'd like to share a story of when she counted on the hospitality of a stranger while traveling. Kelsey was a junior in college, studying abroad. At the end of the semester, she was taking the train from London to Munich to visit a family friend. The problem was that it had snowed heavily along the route, causing Kelsey to miss her connecting train. She was rerouted to a completely different city, where train officials bundled her and a handful of other travelers into a taxi for the last leg of the trip. 20 years old and traveling solo without a working cell phone, Kelsey had no idea where she was going to spend the night in a city she didn't know. During that long taxi drive, though, she slowly got to know the other passengers, and they got to know her. By the end of the drive, when it was clear that Kelsey didn't have anywhere to stay, one woman piped up and offered to open her home to Kelsey. Kelsey weighed the risks. Wander alone in an unfamiliar city in the wee hours of the morning, or stay with a stranger. She chose the latter. The woman let Kelsey use her computer to email her parents and made up the couch into a comfortable bed. Kelsey still remembers the feeling of profound relief and safety laying there in the glow of another family's Christmas tree. She was a vulnerable traveler who faced real danger 
but the hospitality of a stranger kept her safe. I share this story because it helps us to remember the kinds of risks that travelers face and why hospitality is biblically regarded as a sacred practice that echoes God's compassion. Typically, it was not possible for travelers to pack enough supplies for their whole journey, so it was normal to depend on the hospitality of strangers. It was not just a matter of etiquette, but a moral imperative to share hospitality. Since Abraham and Sarah's visitors were traveling in the heat of the day, it could have even been a matter of life and death. In our story from the scripture this evening, what started as an act of hospitality became an act of sharing in divine purpose. We, the audience, have been told that the three visitors are an appearance of the Lord, but it's unclear if Abraham and Sarah knew they were sharing hospitality with God. Can you imagine God showing up to your house? What kind of hospitality could you offer that would possibly be good enough? They didn't put, a meal, put together a meal fit for a king, but they prepared a generous meal with good milk, meat, and bread from what they had available. The visitors then reaffirmed God's covenant with Abraham, specifically reiterating that Sarah will bear the child who will live out God's promise. The unique ambiguity of this text and the fact that there are three visitors has reminded some Christians over the centuries of the way we describe God in the Trinity— that God is one in three, or three in one. And I've included uh, an icon that I'm going to talk about a little bit. You can find it in your song packets. It's on the final page, and it's also right here. When Christian iconographers depict this scene, it adds a new layer to the text. How God appears to us as the modern audience. One of the most famous icons of the Eastern Orthodox Christian tradition depicts this scene with the three visitors, entitled The Holy Trinity, and it is painted by the Russian iconographer Andrei Rublev. This icon shows the three visitors each as unique persons, wearing different combinations of the same colors. Each person is gesturing to the others, calling our attention to the interaction between the parent, the child, and the Holy Spirit, that all act as one. This interaction highlights the way the Trinity describes God as having a sense of community of distinct persons within God's own identity. Abraham and Sarah are not represented the table has an open spot in the front, inviting us, the viewers, into the meal they are sharing, just as Christ invites us to know the Father and sends us the Spirit. The meal they are sharing is represented as a red substance filling the chalice. 
This reminds us of the meal we share as Christians to remember the life, death, and resurrection of Christ we call communion or the Eucharist. In this meal, we are invited to Christ's table. We remember the meal Christ shared with his disciples before his death. And we are sent into the world as Christ's body. Just as Abraham and Sarah's lives were changed when God called them, we are transformed by our encounter with Christ. Through this lens, we can see that Abraham and Sarah's hospitality is part of the larger story of God's hospitality. As Rublev's icon reminds us, the invitation of the communion table is an invitation to share in the very life of God. God shows up at the Oaks of Mamre as three vulnerable travelers to share a meal with Abraham and Sarah because of who God is. God has always been breaking into our world to build a fruitful relationship with creation through humanity as part of God's identity as creator, redeemer, and sustainer. As Christians, we believe that shows up. Uh, as Christians, we believe this identity also shows up as a vulnerable human child to share fully in human life and to share solidarity with our own vulnerability. As the cross reminds us, God knows the pain of unjust suffering, of being condemned legally and religiously, and even knows the feeling of being God-forsaken. As Matthew 25 teaches us, we are called by this God to share this love, this hospitality, with the vulnerable in our own midst, as if it were Christ himself. We share God's love and hospitality because we have received it through Christ and through our own experiences of vulnerability. Like Kelsey's travels in Germany, we have all had the experience of being taken in during a time of need. It might have been through an invitation to someone's Thanksgiving table. It might have even been through a meal or a program at Richmond Hill. Our table here was made by Harrison Higgins to resemble a chalice. If you get the chance, I encourage you to take a moment to take a closer look. The inside is lined with gold that shimmers under the light with what looks like a red glob of wax at the center to remind us of Christ's blood. It's difficult to see the brightness of the gold from far away unless you catch a glimpse through the crack that runs through the side. This crack was not planned in the construction of the table, but was embraced as a reminder that, as Leonard Cohen sings in his song Anthem, there is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. It's a reminder that God meets us in our own vulnerabilities, 
that God's love breaks into our world through compassion and hospitality shown to others. All our tables in the refectory and on the deck share this this table's circular shape to remind us that we glimpse the divine when we share this love with one another. Hospitality might seem like a simple practice of kindness to neighbors, but it goes much deeper than that. Hospitality as a practice is an act of caring for the vulnerable, turning strangers into friends, and celebrating the presence of of God who meets us as we embody Christ's love. Hospitality is transformative and infectious. It's not just part of Richmond Hill's Benedictine rule. Hospitality is key to our prayer and work for the healing of metropolitan Richmond. The failure of many Christians to truly practice hospitality undermines Christian witness in our communities. As we get to know one another in our community, we should see cultural barriers of race, class, sexuality, and gender lose their power. But just as white Christian colonizers used their faith as justification for Native American genocide and African enslavement, some Christians still use their faith to reinforce fears rather than break down the barriers that divide us. Hatred towards the LGBTQ plus community and white nationalism is often spread by people who claim to speak for God. And it has deadly consequences, like the murder of five people at Club Q in Colorado on Saturday night. As Christians, we bear a responsibility to denounce this hatred as inconsistent with who we understand God to be and how God has called us to seek those who are vulnerable in our community and care for them as if it was Christ himself. As we worship a crucified God, we must mourn the wounds of hatred, even as we work and pray for healing. One story comes to mind of someone who invited dozens of strangers into his home during the Black Lives Matter protests of 2020. The police had corralled some nonviolent protesters into a DC neighborhood in a practice called kettling, so they would have no escape but to be arrested for violating curfew. But Rahul Dubey opened his door and invited them in. He didn't slaughter a calf, but he gave them milk to wash the chemical irritants out of their eyes, and he successfully smuggled a pizza in from his favorite local pizza shop. He gave generously from what he had available, and he shared hospitality with his neighbor. He might as well have been entertaining angels or welcoming Christ himself. Because when we share God's love, we participate in God's life. We face many problems as a community, a society, and as people of faith that are much deeper than any of us can handle as individuals. Like Abraham and Sarah, 
We must take what we have and offer generously to those who are vulnerable as a practice of hospitality and in resistance to systemic oppression. As Rublev's Holy Trinity icon reminds us, God meets us in this work and invites us to participate in the work of redemption that God has been about since the dawn of creation. In an act of divine hospitality, we are invited into the life of God at the communion table. Christ's table changes us and sends us out to share the love we have received, particularly with those who are vulnerable. As the book of Hebrew says, likely in reference to this story, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing. When we do, we share glimpses of the divine life breaking in through the cracks. I'd like to close with the way we usually close our prayers for Metropolitan Richmond. And I invite you to respond with, hear our prayer. Grant, O Lord, that your kingdom may come in metropolitan Richmond, as it is in heaven. Help us to be a part of its coming. Help us to minister in others in the spirit, minister to others in the spirit, and to accept your ministry for ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Hear us, O God. Amen.